I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. And week three of our Jessica Chastain month, where tonight we watched the 2012 film Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, if we didn't get to this one, I'd have been Jessica chastised. <laughs> uh. Yeah, this is a fairly infamous movie uh, dealing with the hunt for an eventual uh, killing of Osama bin Laden in the aftermath of mm-hmm. 9-11 and, well, really a full decade afterwards, but yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh, what? When was the first time you saw this film? 2014. Really? That yeah. long after? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. This isn't one you saw in theaters? No, no. It's interesting. So a, a Bin Laden is killed May the 2nd, 2011. Uh-huh. This film came out in, I think, late 2012, so it was put together pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't see it until, I think it was on cable. Hmm. Like I'm kind of surprised by that. Yeah. This is one I... Especially because of its having been, it's what Oscars it was nominated for. Yeah. I, I kind of assumed this is one you would have seen in the theaters. No, I wasn't watching the Oscar nominees as regularly at that time. Yeah. This is one I saw in the theater, which was an experience, yeah, especially that close to when everything happened. Yeah. I'm not kidding you, it genuinely was very emotionally moving. Mm. You know, that at the end, the, the movie fades out. To that very soft, subtle music, mm-hmm. and I just my—I mean, I've had a beard for a long, long time. My beard was had tears running through it. Mm-hmm. You know, had to take a moment to like collect yourself. Yeah. I mean, the lights came back up in the theater, and I don't think anybody stood up for at least thirty seconds. You're right when you point out how recent it was, because that was only the previous year. Yeah. And so this was a way for people to kind of vicariously see it. Well, of course, some of the books, or one of the books had come out at this point. There was numerous articles written. So there was accounts that were out there, you know. And I had actually read the novel by the Navy SEAL. Uh You know, and there's controversy around some of that. So I was quite, I was probably more familiar than the average person with it. But to to actually see it depicted, Mm. like I said, it it was quite moving to see in the theaters and... Yeah, like I said, no one in the theater. I mean, I saw it at, at Megaplex in one of the big theaters. Yeah, you know, so you're talking they're big theaters. That's what 150, 200 seats, yeah. and no one moved for 30 seconds after the lights turned on. Yeah, you know, that's yeah, it's affecting. Yeah. Catherine Bigelow is a is who directed this. She's quite the director. There's no arguing arguing that. Her follow-up to... uh, Hurt Locker. Yeah, which made her the first woman, and so far the only woman, to have won a Best Director Oscar. No? That will quite likely change on Sunday. You think so? We're recording in uh, late April, just, just before the Oscars. Yeah. But yeah, this was... This is an interesting movie. It's not without its flaws, interesting portrayal of numerous people involved in this mm-hmm. i still to this day think it's a fairly accurate portrayal mm-hmm. though aspects of this portrayal require reading between the lines okay so this movie jessica chastain uh, plays a character who in the movie is referred to as maya who is a cia i don't know if you call it analyst or what but who 
all she's done her done her entire career in the CIA was Bin Laden. Should we dive right into the two? Might as well. Okay. So as I mentioned, her in this movie, the character's name is Maya. I I've warned Nate of some of this ahead of time. The person who we know as Maya in this movie has been portrayed on screen other times. Specifically, two that we know of for sure. You can actually find out who Maya is. We're not going to name her name in this podcast, but it's been reported by numerous news outlets, and it's not that hard to find, but we're not going to name her name here. But she was portrayed on screen in the series The Looming Tower on Hulu, and she's also been portrayed on screen in the movie The Report. Not for good things. She has a very morally ambiguous history and career, some of which is portrayed in this movie. Mm. She's the person in in the Looming Tower, she's the person in like Alex Station in the CIA who's preventing information from being given to the FBI. Right. And you know, but as she points out, her entire career in the CIA, all she's ever done is bin Laden. And she says specifically in this movie that She's worked for the CIA for 12 years and done nothing but but Bin Laden, so that puts her in the late 90s from then on, doing nothing but Bin Laden. Mm. You know, Even she's before in, Bin Laden was the household name he became after 9-11. Like, I knew well, I mean, he was a household that. name after, what, 95, the first war? Well, I don't know how household... Well, like if you if, if you were... If let's you were rephrase this. Junkie. He was a household name to the CIA. Yeah. Uh, so, the CIA was pretty focused on Bin Laden from probably 95 on. Yeah. So... But yeah, so she has an ambiguous history. In, in this movie, she's portrayed a little bit as a heroine. She is the hero treatment, definitely. Yeah, but if you read between the lines, they don't hide anything she's doing. They don't disguise her involvement with detainee interrogations, yeah. including enhanced interrogations. They even show her at black sites mm. around the world, implying that she's involved in interrogations of individuals who've been renditioned Mm. so essentially involvement in rendition on top of enhanced interrogations and all of those types of things yeah very morally ambiguous very single-minded which is here a a virtue a virtue and a drawback i mean you can see where it causes her issues with other co-workers and which is consistently throughout her career in the cia been the biggest that's just kind of a, a pain in the butt. There's the the line from the guy that replaces the first CIA station chief in Islamabad, who instantly gives in to some pretty strong demands from her, and she's like, "I oh, finally realized that what I'm doing is important." It's like, "No, I just realized from my predecessor that my life would be a lot easier if I just if I don't disagree with you." Yeah. But she clearly, you know, as is demonstrated, knew what she was talking about yeah. to a certain extent, and eventually is able to track down and with the help of other people in the CIA and military resources tracks down uh, Osama bin Laden as has been famously criticized Obama took a long time making the decision to authorize this raid and then the movie gives us a fairly detailed portrayal of that raid on the compound and the killing of Osama bin Laden it's really two movies it's the the first 75% of it, or possibly even more, 80% of it, is this procedural, investigative procedural that's super focused on uh, Jessica Chastain. And then she's out of the movie for 20, 25 minutes, and it's just the raid. 
which is, uh, as you mentioned, a very powerful sequence. Yeah, it's, you know, this is a movie that secured Jessica Chastain a nomination for uh, Best Actress in a Leading Role. I can't think of anything to critique in her portrayal here. When she's emotional, it comes across. When she's happy, it comes across. You know, it's she's very good at the, at the portrayal, and yeah, I don't I don't know what else to say about her performance and, in you this know, role. It's it's interesting and it's appropriate for the role that she she has no romantic interest in the film. She's not. I mean, she's beautiful, but she's not at all portrayed as a romantic character. Mm-hmm. And yep. even one of her coworkers comments on this. Yeah, which. Given what happens to her coworker, I think was possibly not fair to her coworker, because uh-huh. her coworker left a family at home. Yeah, and it implies certain things about her coworker that I'm not sure is fair. But everything that you hear about this, Mark Bull was given. In fact, there was a lot of complaints about how much access Mark Bull was given to people involved in this to to be able to get the information and do the research for this film, especially to put it together so quickly. But there's also complaints about how Mark Bull sometimes bends the facts. So, you know, who knows? But most reports seem to think that most everything in this movie is relatively accurate. Do you know what they call that when he does that? No. Bull hockey. Ah, nice. Not quite on my A-game tonight. I don't know. I don't think you're... (laughs) You're not far off. Yeah, any other portrayals in this film you want to focus on? Well, I mean, it's got a good cast. Got a broad and diverse yeah, cast. So we've got Jason Clark as Dan, who's one of the CIA guys, one of the first CIA people that Maya works with abroad, and then he gets a position at Langley and becomes a pretty important liaison there. Joel Edgerton is one of the is the squadron team leader for one of the SEAL teams. Chris, Chris Pratt, Pratt is Justin. Famously, this is very early Chris Pratt. He was mostly known for the show Parks and Rec, which I kind of half-watched for a while in its early seasons, and I remember that they really thought they had something in him, and they kept giving him more screen time. And I was like, nah, yeah. nah. I was wrong. Chris Pratt would, would prove himself after this. Kyle Chandler. Mark Strong. Uh, Jennifer Eel. Rita Kateb. James Gandolfini as the CIA director, who by implication was Leon Panetta. Yeah. Harold Piranu. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good ensemble cast, but obviously they're all in, in support of Maya, in support of, of Miss Chastain. Yeah, it's yeah quite an ensemble, most of whom are not on screen for long periods of time. But, yeah, it's it's... I mean, even now, that the end of this film, that's a moving portrayal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I when, was frankly, because, again, I've seen this once before, that it's slow, and it should be slow. Is this only the second time yeah. you've seen this? Yeah. That's this story. This is a slow story. But there were times that as a result of that, I was a little bored. Yeah. But not during the rape. Why do you think this is only the second time you've seen this? I mean, famously, I revisit movies much more than you. I don't know. I mean, this is a very good movie, but it's really not my kind of movie. I think the main reason I revisit this, and I watch this probably at least once a year, is to remind myself some of these things and how some of these things felt, especially as this war continues, which recently was announced. It looks like the war will be wrapping up sooner than later. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's a lot of things to be said about 
I mean, this war has now been going for nearly two two full decades now. There's a lot that we could say about the war, but I don't think that's where we're going to delve into yeah. in this podcast per se. But yeah, it's I mean, there's depictions of a lot of things in this movie that you could go into. Guantanamo Bay, uh, interrogation sites, all of these types of things. Yeah, I don't know where else to go from there. But yeah, I mean, this movie was... It was a respected movie. I believe it had five Oscar nominations. Can you? Do you know which five? Not. I'm gonna go best screenplay, uh, best actress for Miss Chastain. It was nom. It won the Oscar for best achievement in sound editing. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, it was good sound editing. It was nominated for best motion picture of the year, mm-hmm. best performance by an actress in a leading role for Jessica Chastain, nominated for best writing, original screenplay. And best achievement in film editing. Yeah. So it's a very efficient film. Yeah, it's 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 quasi it's very documentary like in, in a lot of respects. Yeah, I mean it's a dramatization of. If you were trying to make a documentary as a drama, this you couldn't get much closer than this. But that's also where some of the critiques yeah. of this come in. It's also very bare boned yeah. because there there's there's it's the people doing their job. There there's not a lot beyond that. We don't find out much of any backstory of anybody. There's no personal subplots. It's it's like it's it's law and order. You know, it's just just the facts. Well, and there's Mixing some my cop shows. I mean, they portray some interesting moments in in context of history that really are like on the blip of those moments. Had to be small moments, like in the White House when they're presenting some of the information and the two the the one I forget who he's supposed to be the one White House representative. And then the CIA representative were walking down the hall and he says, how do you assess the risk of not doing yeah. something? Which is was a genuinely good question. And, and if you believe the accounts from members of the SEAL team, how long that they rehearsed these raids, they said that different people were brought in to watch them rehearsing the raids on a daily basis for months. And they wondered why they were rehearsing these raids so many times you know, before they were ever given the green light. And and that's been a criticism of Obama was the intel didn't change for a long, long time mm-hmm. and why he waited so long to authorize the raid and things like that. But Obama, as is said here, he was a thoughtful guy and he wanted to try and be as sure as he could. And at the same time, nobody was sure. Nobody was sure enough in the intel. Nobody was sure enough in what they were going to find. You know, they there was conversations of whether they wanted to do a raid or whether they wanted to drop a bomb on the compound. Yeah, and you should also take into account kind of some of the specters for Obama as as a Democratic president because Clinton bombed prescription drug factories in Africa in an attempt to get bin Laden. And then, of course, the rescue effort of the hostages in Iran was a total disaster under Carter. So I can I can see him being extra cautious not just honestly not just as president as a democratic president yeah who's going to get a lot more crap if a military thing goes wrong than yeah. a republican one. well but at the end of the day i mean it was under obama's watch that they got him yeah and it so, went swimmingly yeah but yeah i mean everyone knows a lot of things about this and you know there was from the time the operation was concluded they had a, the confirmation things like that if you know as everyone remembers the day that was announced, oh, yeah. it kept getting delayed and delayed. And in fact, I remember I was texting you saying, "Hey, yeah. the rumors are this: that Obama's going to be speaking tonight." I remember very vividly. 
and it was pretty late when he talked. But I remember it's like eight thirty or nine o'clock here yeah. locally. Yeah, I don't remember if we were on the phone when he spoke or right I don't after. I think so, but yeah, because I had been texting you, and then you watched it at your place. I watched it at mine, and then we spoke very briefly thereafter. What What else do you think of when you think of this night, other than the night itself? Not much besides the night itself. I think of the depiction of the night itself on the newsroom. Oh yeah, yeah. That's Jeff, true. Jeff Daniels is a little stoned, I believe, when he, when they have to bring him <laughs> into the studio. To... I forgot about that for a yeah. minute. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, that is a good depiction of that. But it was, it was quite a somber moment. Yeah. And, but it it kept getting delayed, and I don't know how much you know about what led to the delays. They ultimately decided they wanted to so. After they get Bin Laden's body back to the compound in Afghanistan, they flew it out to the to, to the carrier, and they decided they wanted to wait until it was until they completed the burial at sea to make the announcement. Mm. So, if I understand correctly, they had you know dropped his body in the in yeah. the ocean before. What do you think of that? The burial at sea. Yeah. I mean, I understand the reasons why they did it. I don't buy all of the. You know, they said, well, we did it a certain way so that no one would be able to know and find his body. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to find his body at the bottom of the ocean, no. Yeah. That's not going to happen, but they know where they dumped his body, things like that. There's enough information on the ships that you could figure out pretty close to where his body was dropped. But I understand why they wanted to handle it that way. I don't think it was bad to handle it that way. Yeah. Just some of the, the leaks and announcing it before the decisions were made you know i mean this was such a moment that happened so fast all yeah. of that at that point because they'd done a good job of keeping it a secret oh, up until absolutely. that moment it was such a it was it it, it floored me you know it's like, no one is, saw it coming this until, is really yeah. happening yeah and you and i think and they, they kind of talk talk about this a little bit in the film where they're trying to get jessica chastain to work on other things it's like it but Bin Laden doesn't matter anymore. He's hasn't. Nobody's heard from him in four years. He's probably dead. Even if he's not dead, he's functionally dead in this movement. But it, there really was an important sense of closure. Yeah. And and you know it was surreal that they finally got him. I I think most Americans thought he were never going to get him. Yeah. At that point. I mean, we had had close calls. I mean, if you, especially we learned more after we got KSM. You know, there's there's reports that Bin Laden at times like would be walking down a trail and they'd hear a fighter jet coming, and dive off the side of the trail underneath some bushes. And, you know, and, and we narrowly missed him by that hiding much. under bushes. How ironic! Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you know, but there was numerous close calls when he was still in the tribal regions, but he'd been in in Islamabad for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had an interesting setup there. And, uh, you know, all the kids that were in there. Surely some of these kids Well, there kids was multiple have, families there. Kids have given interviews since then. I'd almost be oddly curious about the perspective of... Others of his children I know have given interviews. I don't know that too many of those young children that were there yeah. gave interviews. Pakistan kind of... The Pakistanis swept them up pretty quickly and moved them, you know. And that was a, kind of an awkward thing too because we had violated their airspace yeah but ultimately once we once i mean once they found out why we'd done it i mean it's kind of hard to put up too much of a fight about that yeah they put up a fight but didn't put up a fight yeah uh, yeah yeah, enough for domestic consumption and to go through the motions but 
I think they probably was like, well, probably better that they did this. Well, and, and I mean, there's there was always that ongoing debate afterwards too of how could he have been in Islamabad, yeah. especially so close to Abad. I mean, or not mm. Islamabad, Abbottabad, Pakistan, so close to their, you know, what's described as their West Point, without someone knowing. Yeah, and who knew? Who didn't know? All of those types of conversations. I mean, there was there was things that they they went to pains to try and depict in this movie. It seems as though you had forgotten that there was the images of the helicopter tail hanging over the wall. Yeah, I forgot that were about depicted that. that. And you know, and so the movie specifically makes a point of when they're going through the demolition of the helicopter, dropping the tail over the wall. You know, so that it matches the images that were later. You know portrayed and things like that but yeah it's also kind of interesting how in a sense it's anticlimactic because we know we never see bin Laden shot well we see his corpse shot after he's been killed well you see the shot fired and that's that is a normal thing in the areas where we're engaging military practices when we kill someone when they get up to the body they shoot them again to verify that they're dead mm. uh, and then they're required to take pictures of the face mm. So those are standard military practices, um, so they can document those types of things. These were not special or extraordinary things that were going on in this instance. So, good movie. Should we talk about? It's a, the, it's a strong movie. Yeah. The ratings. Yeah. How would you rate this movie? I would rate this film. I'm gonna give it four stars. Yeah. And I'm gonna give it nine out of ten. Are oh, you? Yeah? I would give it four and eight. Mm-hmm. Personally, there are still a few questions about some things depicted in this movie. Like I pointed out earlier, the character that we know as Maya in this film is morally ambiguous. You can make the argument that she was given a little bit too much of the heroin treatment in this, given some of her history, but at the same time, clearly Mark Bull wanted to, on some level, redeem her after what's happened. And also, you know, this is so shortly afterwards... Yeah, and you know we wanted her to be a hero, and she is a hero. Yeah, but if this film had been made now, I I think that they probably would have played up the moral ambiguity of the character more than they did here. Well, she's had mixed things in her career since then. Mm. But yeah, I mean, where do you go from this though? Yeah, if this has been the focus of your career, and you're still in the CIA, where do you go from here? Yeah, you know, and it's they kind of implied that almost in the movie, like. Where do you want to go at the end? You know, really, when she's sitting the, on that airplane by herself. The only more difficult target I can think of, frankly, is Elvis Presley. Well, leave it to Maya. She could find him. She could find him. Yeah. Get him for what he did. He knows what he did. He knows. Is this going to turn into another Q moment for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, anything else to add on this film? No. I, I recommend. I do, too. I mean, it is very violent. Uh, a lot of language. But if you, I mean, it's a war movie. Mm-hmm. If you watch other war movies, you know what you're getting. And if you are okay with that, yeah. definitely a thumbs up on this movie. And, and they kill Jason Clark's monkeys? Unfortunately. Yeah, that's a sad moment. There's no depiction of that on screen. There's no, no animal cruelty yeah. depicted, just human cruelty. So they do, there are multiple portrayals of enhanced interrogation yeah. techniques. It's, it's kind of rough on some of those, so, yeah. Well, if there's nothing else, I'm Rob. I'm Nate. And this is Rob and Nate Record Podcast.
it's a tough one in yeah. some ways, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So what do you know about Mark Ball? We didn't really get into that very no, much. No, I don't know. He directed a lot of films in Germany that were all oh, that's Udo Ball. <laughs> that's not the first time you've mentioned no, that person. I'm not. Yeah. No, I mean Mark Ball also wrote Hurt Locker. Ah, okay. Um, let me look up some of his credits. Mark Bull was the person who was interviewing Bo Bergdahl. Oh, okay. All the recordings in Serial Season 2 are Mark Bull talking to Bo Bergdahl. Because he was looking at writing a movie about Bo Bergdahl. Which I still wouldn't kind of like to see. Um, that's a more complex <laughs> case than more most people want to give him credit right. for. He did that Detroit film about uh, the riots in Detroit in the early 70s, I think. Yeah, I wrote that Netflix movie, Triple Frontier. In the Valley of Ella, which I think you've seen before. I've right? not seen, but that's, uh, I believe, Tommy Lee Jones stars and directed. Mel Paul Haggis directed. Yeah. But Tommy Lee Jones stars opposite Shirley Theron and Jonathan Tucker. It was nominated for three, one Oscar. Mm-hmm. Best performance by an actor in a leading role. So... I mean, he's clearly respected as a writer. He's been a producer on a lot of things. He gets producer credits even on Serial, you know, for his interviews. But, yeah, it, I would be interested to see the screenplay that he wrote on the Bo Bergdahl story. Yeah. Um, did you listen to Serial Season 2? I listened to part of it. Yeah? Yeah. I felt like Serial Season 2 did a good job of illustrating why the Bo Bergdahl story isn't so cut and dry. Mm-hmm. The military, because he had previously been in the Coast Guard and then removed from the Coast Guard, mm-hmm. uh, and that should have been something that I don't want to phrase this. Probably should have prevented him from rejoining the, the military. Mm-hmm. So, but the military had changed the standards because they were just needed so many people to go to war, and allowed him to come back. So, how complicit is the military in it? Um, not that they actively were wanting anything like this to happen, no, no. but you know. And then he was he was held by the the Taliban for years, like and beaten up, broken bones, everything, poor treatment, all that type of stuff. Tortured himself, and continuing to incarcerate him on top of that. Yeah, he's I mean, been, I understand why a lot of. You talk to veterans, and they're all like, "No, it's it's clear cut and dry. Like he he deserted. He, he should be incarcerated, you know." And you start talking about things, and they the veterans I've talked to have a hard time getting past that. You just don't leave your yeah. your fellow soldiers. But the points you're bringing up make me think about it. But you just don't leave your soldiers. So, yeah. But yeah, so all of those interviews that you hear in Serial Season Two were recorded by, by Mark Bull. Mm-hmm. So you hear Mark Ball's voice frequently. Indeed. So, yeah. I mean... Uh, and then after him, they were done, Bin Laden went swimming. <laughs> wow! I think I'm going to have to edit that out. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was not prepared for that. 